Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, I will, will do the works I have been doing. They will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Wow, brilliantly read, Annabelle. Thank you so much. Ah, thank you. Hello, beautiful faces of Alton. I'm going to put you on gallery. I don't want to look at my own physiography through all this. Hello, great to see you, everybody. Hope you can hear me well. Ah, oh, thanks for having me. And thanks for giving me one of my favourite verses to speak on. This really is... Uh, I, I rejoiced when I saw that I was preaching on this. Um... This has got so much significance to me, as you'll hear in a little bit. So thanks to the VLT for an excellent sermon series. And thanks for all the previous speakers whose giant homiletic shoulders I'm now standing. Um, yeah, just a couple of things before I start. Firstly, I just want to echo what um, Sarah said um, before we started Oceans. I think we all feel so beaten and battered and it's so easy to kind of fall into that mindset of, oh, you know, this is the way it is. And, and to forget that we worship and we serve an interventionist God. And he loves to bless and he loves to, you know, perform miracles. And we shouldn't give up on those, even when times are hard, folks. Um, so thank you, Sarah, for that. Um, the other thing I want to say before I start <laughs> is... Um, I'm going to deliberately use the name of God, Yahweh, throughout. Um, This is me trying to get into a new practice. I hope that doesn't throw or offend anyone. If it's not familiar to any of you, the name Yahweh is actually God's name. It's it's when Moses, back in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 3, asked God, what is your name? Who shall I say has sent me? He said, tell them I am has sent me. Yahweh has sent you. Um when he met him at an impromptu desert barbecue. (laughs) I'm using it because I think he wants us to use his name. We don't use it because it kind of upsets Jewish people. So that's the last thing we want to do, obviously, Um, because they think God's name is so sacred that you shouldn't say it out loud. But let's face it, God is his job title. It's not his name. So, you know, I I think he wants us to use his name. He certainly wanted Moses to use his name. So... That's what I'm going to do today. And, and let me know. Give me some feedback if, if, if you uh, were thrown by it, confused, whatever. Anyway, onwards. Uh, yeah, this morning we're looking at, in this series at another of the promises of Jesus and a promise that is a real biggie, isn't it? A promise of divine intervention. And who doesn't want some of that, eh? You know, just about everyone tuned in today. In fact, I guarantee every one of us today is either in the midst of a challenging circumstance where you could just do with a bit of, you know, God turning up or you've had one in the past or you're going to have one in the future. And, you know, uh, you know, we, we've all had situations in the past that have, that have knocked us and we wonder where God was in that. So you're not alone if you feel that way. But, you know, the bottom line for us here is, is you know, what is this promise really worth? This is a pretty, pretty full on promise, isn't it? Or perhaps can we even trust Jesus, the the person who makes this promise? You know, did he really mean it? Now, before you stone me for such blasphemy and before we get into that detail of that claim, I just the first thing I think we should acknowledge with this passage is that, you know, it's a pretty audacious statement, isn't it? 
And that apparently this flesh and blood human, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, you know, is saying he's answering prayers. That, you know, that must have shocked the first hearers, mustn't it? Jesus is clearly saying he has the power and authority both to hear and answer prayers. And there's only one word for a being that has that kind of authority, isn't there? God. So if we were in any doubt what Jesus thought of himself, we've got it pretty clear here in black and white. Now, this brings us to what is often referred to as the liar, lunatic or Lord debate. Um, most clearly defined by C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, where he writes, big quote here, but a really good one. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd be either a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come up with any patronising nonsense about this being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I love all of that. I love the bit about the poached egg. But I'm really with C.S. Lewis here. You know, gently but firmly say to people, no. You know, I'm sorry, Jesus, you know, made so many claims like this to, to be on a level with, with the divine. So either it's true or we shouldn't go anywhere near him. Now, I hope by the end of this, you'll come to the conclusion that it's true. And, you know, give him your life, folks. So that's point number one. And I, I think I say that in a kind of a hope that it's potentially a source of comfort or clarification for some people. It's perfectly orthodox Christian practice to speak out prayers directly to Jesus. Point number one, you can pray straight to Jesus in his name. Now, faith for us being mortals sometimes need a bit of bits of tangible, evidential help, doesn't it? And a few verses back, Jesus told his disciples to believe in the evidence of my works, not just his words. Now, he was, of course, referring to his miracles. They had you know, witnessed all sorts of miracles, but of course, we weren't there and we didn't see those things. So for us, is it all just a matter of faith? Mind you, some say miracles still happen. Time for a story. Back in the 80s, Jenny and I belonged to Holy Trinity Church in Hounslow and got to know both the vicar, John Barter, and a lovely septuagenarian lady called Lottie. And both had been at the centre of some pretty miraculous events a decade before. In 1974, John had been reading about a charismatic awakening with accompanying miracles of healing and other phenomenon, inspired by taking John 14.14, the passage that Annabelle beautifully read, literally. They prayed for divine intervention in Jesus' name. And miracles followed, and many thousands came to faith as a result. 
So John said, why not in Hounslow too? Little old Hounslow. So one evening alone, he decided he would start small. John asked Jesus to heal his asthma in Jesus' name so that he could be a more effective preacher. As he knelt, hunched over, he felt a sudden thump in his back. But his initial thought was, great, now I have asthma and a bad back. But as he straightened up, at first he thought, well, my back seems to be fine. Then he realised his chest was clear too, and his asthma was gone. Genuinely gone, and gone for good. So this gave him enough courage to arrange an evening service where the text was, you've guessed it, John chapter 14. But as he began with the Bible reading, Lottie, sitting a couple of rows back, collapsed in her seat. There were a couple of medical professionals in attendance that, that evening, but they couldn't find a pulse and feared the worst. They attempted CPR, but she wasn't responding. John, of course, instructed someone to call an ambulance and then addressed the congregation saying, well, we can believe this is entirely coincidental. Or maybe God is putting our faith to the test here. So they started to pray in the name of Jesus for Lottie. In the name of Jesus for a dead person to come back to life. And she did. And she lived and faithfully witnessed for another two decades. And other miracles followed. John prayed for a woman in a hospital bed who had attempted suicide by driving a car into a brick wall. And she'd messed up her legs. She was told she would never walk again. She'd be wheelchair bound for the rest of her life. But within a few days of John praying for her, she walked into church. Someone else with multiple sclerosis was healed of that. And there were others, miracles in Jesus' name, in Hounslow of all places. Do I believe that happened? Yes. I know several of those people personally. Do I believe in miracles? Yes. Do I believe those miracles happened because John Barter prayed specifically in the name of Jesus? No. I believe those miracles happened because Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, loves to bless But to say that they happened because somebody finally took Jesus at his word and prayed in the name of Jesus gives us huge problems, doesn't it? Because it gives us problems every time things don't appear to happen when we pray in the name of Jesus. Most importantly, I believe they happened on that occasion because Jesus had bigger plans than just the immediate physical and spiritual outcomes. Now, as always, we need some context here, don't we? And Dave Ellis, a couple of weeks ago, beautifully reminded us that his that this discourse comes a few days between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. The triumph of Palm Sunday, the epic car crash, as far as the disciples were concerned, that was that was Good Friday. From the disciples perspective. okay, maybe not a car crash. A donkey crash. More historically accurate. Anyway, Jesus takes these few chapters, these few days in between these momentous events of momentous high and a momentous low. To kind of help the disciples in there, adjust their expectations of what was going to happen. Things aren't going to go as the way they, the way they had planned them. They're not going to get what they want. 
their prayers aren't going to be answered immediately anyway. Well, not at least prayers for a bloody revolution against Roman occupation, certainly. Still, we can surely emphasise with empathise with the disciples here, can't we? Talk about rabbits in the headlights. They've just been told that their best friend is about to die. And far from stop it, they're actually going to be complicit. It's no surprise they're a little confused, is it? So I kind of understand. But then in the middle of all this managing of expectations and talking of surrendering ourselves even to death, Jesus says these completely strange words. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. I'm afraid if I was there, you know, I'm not surprised that one of the disciples didn't put his hand up and say, uh, please, sir, if you have that kind of authority, can't you come up with a better plan than being crucified? So I totally empathise with, with the disciples. It's no surprise they were confused, was it? And it's no surprise people have been confused ever since. So let's try and get some clarity. What is Jesus saying here? Well, you won't be surprised. There have been a number of suggestions ranging from Jesus was just doing some culturally appropriate kind of Jewish style exaggeration to the other end of the spectrum. The name it and claim it a la the prosperity gospel. But I don't believe either of those holds any biblical or logical credibility. However, I don't find the explanation given by the majority that comforting either. You know, this this explanation basically says that Jesus means by asking for something in his name, it's to pray in accordance with his will. And I think that's what I've been told more often than not, which sounds fine until you actually unpack it. Isn't it the same as saying, if you ask for something, you'll only get it if God was going to do it already? This leaves us asking what the point of prayer really is, and maybe thoroughly disillusioned with the whole concept of prayer. So I think there is a better option here. Firstly, I have to say that I've spent weeks hunting for this better option <laughs> and the Internet's been useless. And yeah, I'm, I'm just convinced in my heart that there's more to it. And then this week, someone I respect greatly, Sky Jatani from the Holy Post podcast, has just released a book nicking my my theory called What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer? Um, I haven't had a chance to read it. I've heard a couple of interviews and he seems to be scratching where I've been itching. Um, So if you want to take this further, have a look at that book. What if Jesus was serious about prayer? In short, I believe the key phrase in John 14, 14 is actually in my name. Hence, all the emphasis on names and all the emphasis for me on the name Yahweh. Names are of a huge significance throughout the Bible, and we make a big thing of the significance of Jesus' name every Christmas, don't we? What does the name Jesus mean? That's right, he says to the wonderful wall of silence that is Zoom. It means saviour. Salvation is key here. But not just a narrow, take me to heaven Jesus kind of salvation, but a holistic, expansive salvation that incorporates the whole of creation. 
this is kingdom of God's salvation. I think Jesus mentioned that once or twice, didn't he? Jesus wants to give us agency here. I genuinely believe that power to pray effectively, world changingly. But the inbuilt safety feature is that that power is released only when our prayers are motivated by. No, consumed by a selfless desire to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. How often have we prayed that? Yet we would be as shocked as anyone if it actually happened. That's my confession. We of little faith. But surely this tallies perfectly with the message that Trevor Neal brought to us a couple of weeks ago. Matthew 16, which he repeats again in Matthew 18. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you let loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's authority. Back to C.S. Lewis. He calls it the dignity of causality, which is a fancy way of describing that thing that a parent does when they ask a child to come help them with something, which of course they could do better on their own. Not better, but differently. Let's face it, Yahweh doesn't need any of us, but he honours us way beyond what we deserve, involving us in a plan to save the whole world. What a beautiful thing. So God is offering us agency here. He's offering us an opportunity to influence. Unless you're tempted to think that it's not just for mere mortals like you and I, something that only Jesus could aspire to. Remember, it wasn't just Jesus that had that kind of level of relationship with the Father. Moses, of course, a convicted killer, also developed that kind of relationship with the Almighty, where he could plead, negotiate, even argue with Yahweh. Moses, despite all his flaws. So why not us? And remember Tim's example from last week of asking in prayer for something, someone to lead to Jesus. And he finds a member, a message on his phone from somebody who phoned the BU asking for just that. Tim Ferguson, despite all his flaws. So why not us? But if that does feel like a stretch for you as an individual, then why not together with others pull your faith? In fact, this week saw the anniversary of one of the nation's most famous examples of corporate prayer being answered. On the 26th of May 1940, George VI and Archbishop William Temple called the British people to a national day of prayer for the impending massacre that was looking more and more likely across the channel as retreating troops amassed around Dunkirk. So the people prayed for salvation for those young men. And the rest is history. The Admiralty estimated that they could rescue maybe 30,000 But by June the 4th, Churchill stood up in Parliament, delighting that 330,000 have been rescued, calling it the miracle of Dunkirk. Some called it a miracle of some called it a series of coincidences, not a miracle at all. Archbishop Temple replied, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. For more on that story, an excellent book on prayer. Pete Gregg's excellent book, How to Pray. 
definitely recommend that, folks. He un- really unpacks that story. So to recap, we're into the finish line. Who can we pray to? Jesus. Jesus is God and we can pray directly to him. I think that's really helpful for people who might find it hard to relate to the almighty father figure. But a much cooler with a what a friend we have in Jesus kind of relationship. I bet Jesus was thinking it'll absolutely blow my mind in the, blow their minds in the next chapter when I introduce them to a third person up there who they can pray to. <laughs> Secondly, how do we pray? Well, one thing I've learned as I've thought through this issue is that we really need to stop using the phrase in the name of Jesus like we use yours sincerely at the end of a letter. It's not a meaningless sign off. Rather, well, it's, it's, I'll tell you what it isn't as well. It isn't the Christian equivalent of abracadabra. This phrase, when used in the right context and in the right spirit, with a capital S, has genuine power. So we should employ it with wisdom, boldness and divine authority. So please, please, folks, be clear. Jesus isn't just saying, I'll answer your prayers as long as you ask for the things that I was going to do anyway. He's giving you the privilege to help shape the detail of his master plan to save the world. And those who use these words to justify material prosperity instead of a new kingdom of eternal peace and prosperity. They really are the ones to be pitied for the smallness of their God and the paucity of their vision. We can ask and expect miracles, but if we ask in Jesus' name for material stuff, forget it, we're wasting our breath. Remember, within hours, Jesus himself would be highly stressed, sweating blood, praying, take this cup of suffering from me. It was totally understandable, but it was totally not delivered because it would have been at odds with the overall salvation of the universe, with the kingdom of God coming into being. The Apostle Paul learned this lesson well when he was in dire straits, literally an ambassador in chains. He didn't ask for an easy way out, but asked for the strength to persevere for the sake of the gospel. So maybe the question here isn't so much, can we trust him? But can we trust ourselves with the genuine gift he's given us? So if you ask for anything in Jesus' name, the name that means saviour, he will do it. Trust him, folks. Your prayers do carry spiritual clout. When you pray to the God of the universe, he takes notice, possibly even changes his mind. Therefore, as the old saying goes, be careful what you wish for, folks. He's definitely not a genie. He's a lion. And giving the final word to C.S. Lewis again. Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Now, thank you for listening, folks. I felt it was only right to take a few minutes to individually examine our own prayer lives off the back of that. Prayer is both communication and communion, and they are key to a healthy relationship. If you have a brilliant prayer life, take the next couple of minutes to thank Yahweh for it. Alternatively, 
if it feels like you're just going through the motions, if you gave up asking a long time ago because your prayers seem to be just hitting a, a wall, or if you're afraid to ask because you don't want to be disappointed, take this opportunity to ask afresh. I believe our Heavenly Father, Son and Spirit understand and are the best persons to bring your fears and hurt to this morning. Let's take a few minutes to begin a process of revitalising our prayer lives. So let's just pray in, in the silence of Zoom. Let's do our business with Yahweh, just as we are, just where we are. And I'll collect up our prayers in a minute or two and hand back to Kara. Jesus, we begin with confession. We confess that we've not made the most of this glorious gift that you've given us to commune and to communicate with you. Lord, that's partly be because of uh, just a, 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 an ignorance, uh, just not sure how to pray, Lord. So we pray for wisdom. It's also been because of the battering that we've had in our prayer lives. Because we've prayed and it seemingly hasn't been answered. Lord, help us to get clarity on those situations, to move through them. To see indeed where you were at work somehow or to just trust you that that situation is in your hands. Lord, we know that's not easy. But Lord, we know that a, a, a life in all its fullness involves a life of, of communion with you. So Lord, Lord, bless our prayer lives, we pray. And as we, as we dedicate ourselves to prayer, we know that, that we will get clarity. As your word says in Romans, your Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we don't know what to pray, your spirit intercedes for us in a register too deep, too deep even for dogs to hear. Please revitalise our prayer lives, we pray. Reopen our lines of communications in this battlefield of life. And Father, we thank you for your words in the Old Testament too, in Deuteronomy, that underneath are your everlasting arms. You will catch us when we fall and you will protect us where the signal is being jammed by the enemy. Lord, help us to encourage one another too, we pray. Help us to, if we struggle to pray individually, to pray together to encourage one another to use every weapon in the armoury of prayer, to use liturgy, to use tradition and to use your Lord's prayer, Lord, the one you taught us to pray. Oh, Lord, we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see more miracles and we want to know how to relate to you and love you better. So bless us in our prayers, we pray. May this be the start of something big for us as a church and for us as individuals. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen.